Thanks so much. It is a great joy to be with you all here at North. When I was discerning my call um, to come to Bethany, I came to visit North kind of secretly while I was still thinking about it and just came to worship and had such a great sense of God's presence and God's spirit really uh, hovering and anointing this place. And I went forward for prayer about something that was on my heart and just felt so deeply ministered to. So thank you to all of you who have served in prayer ministry and in the setting up and takedown. How many of you have ever done set up and take down here at North. God bless you. I know that happens every week as well as children's ministry and greeting and ushering and playing worship music. And it takes a lot um, to be the church. So it is impressive to me who North has become. And under Scott's leadership and now Raul and Ruth and Anna and Jordan and Josh, and it is really a great gift to me to get to be the head of staff and to be, I hope, an encouragement to all these folks. And then today, um, I am stepping into this series that we are studying how women have been chosen by God. And it is quite a challenge to kind of explore in scripture the roles of women, particularly today, Deborah as a leader. When I know that there may be people in our midst right now who are good Christians who disagree about women being in leadership. And yet we see in scripture, here's Deborah. And we know that there are different places in scripture that can be pointed to in First Timothy and in Ephesians and saying, well, what about that? You know, what was Paul talking about? And I have to say, I spent again some time this past week asking myself these questions, especially with standing here in front of you with braided hair and some jewelry on. And those are things that are discouraged sometimes in scripture. And I came to have a deeper understanding of the fact that at that particular church in Ephesus, there were some wealthy women who were sort of lording it over everybody else and wearing a little too much jewelry and uh, doing their hair a little too fancy in order to bring attention to themselves. And there had been a history in Ephesus of sort of a culture that valued women over everyone else to the extent that they thought perhaps they could have a culture of all women. And when they needed to procreate, they would just go to a visiting town and have a good time and then come back into their all-women community. So Paul was speaking against such things in some of those passages. And you may dive into it and seek out your own understanding. But um, today, we are going to really explore this message that comes to us just from Deborah. She's one of a set of judges. So let's open our hearts to the way that God wants to speak to us and lead us and teach us and meet us today. Please pray with me. Gracious God, I thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. I thank you for the the history and the historicity of scripture, that you both spoke to people in a particular time, in a particular place, and that you desire um, to speak to us today. Lord, may we take what has been offered um, through your servants, by your word, and come to draw near uh, to Jesus, that we would know him, that we would follow him. Lord, that even in this moment, you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to draw us near to you. And Lord, whatever is chaff and should be thrown away, um, would you please burn that away? And would you burn the truth instead on our hearts? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we look at Deborah, um, I would say... Israel would counter among their heroes. And that got me thinking about heroes. Maybe you had some heroes growing up. For me, my very first hero was Abraham Lincoln. I think it was like in the fourth grade when I was just taken with Abraham Lincoln. Everything about him and the, the way he spoke for rights of all, the way he like got these 
groups of people together to engage in, in the Civil War, bring about a, a good solution. The way he studied by candlelight in a cabin was self-educated, even put himself through law school, I believe. Just very impressive, as well as his height and just his commanding presence. I wanted all of that. But as a young girl, these were not really within my reach. So some of my more kind of realistic heroes became sports heroes. The young Olympian Dorothy Hamill. She was a brunette. That spoke to me. She had short hair. That spoke to me because I had a big head of hair that my mom did not care to take care of, so we kept it really short. And I wore that Dorothy Hamill haircut for at least a decade. A little bob, kind of a wedge thing. Then there was Billie Jean King at the time in the 70s. She was a female tennis player who took on a male tennis player. Now, admittedly, he was about twice her age, but she beat him in three sets straight, and 90 million people watched it on TV. I also had a hero who was a scientist, Marie Curie. Anybody remember studying Marie Curie? She was a physicist, a chemist, and there was this quote that just spoke to my heart about fear. She said, nothing in life is to be feared. Nothing in life is to be feared. That just inspired me. It's only to be understood. Nothing in life is to be feared. It's only to be understood. And she kind of taught me to kind of break problems down into step by step. And what would that first step be? She made me want to be brave and give my very best as a student. And the fact that she won the Nobel Prize twice over with her husband made me think that perhaps you could be smart and still be married and have a life together with a husband. So for many of us, Our heroes are these kind of international figures. Other heroes are much closer to home. They're the patriarchs and matriarchs of our own families. In my family, I have a grandma who was Armenian, and in the 20s, she, this is a picture from the 20s with her mom, they had immigrated, well, now I used to call it immigrated, but last year I went on the World Relief bike ride and came to realize they were actually displaced in a Holocaust. Um, the, the Turks, as my, mom call, my grandma called them, um, invaded Armenia, and there was essentially a massacre of Armenians. And we've always t- talked in my family about, oh, we immigrated to the U.S. Actually, they were displaced people. They were refugees coming to the United States. And the story goes that my grandmother was an infant who was sewn into the skirts of her mother's dress because they didn't have a ticket for a third person uh, to come across. And the records in Ellis Island show that, indeed, there was a family that came across at about the right time with a baby named Arshlus, which was my grandmother's name when she arrived, Arshlus Bedrosian. That would be translated now to Louise, is who she became. And... Yes, there you have it. And Bedrosian is like Peterson, so they, she became Louise Peters when she arrived here. And they went on to move where every good Armenian family starts their life in the U.S., in Fresno, California. And her sister was added to the family, and then another sister. And this is them when they had their raisin farm in Fresno, California. And that's how my grandma grew up. She then made her way to San Francisco, where she... Um, took the classes that were needed to become a secretary. And I kid you not, we have her diploma. It's about this big. She went to 
like part-time secretarial school and got this amazing diploma. Now, this is a, a young woman who came from a family that spoke only Armenian, and she moved them all to San Francisco, and my mom was raised in a home in San Francisco where Armenian was spoken at home. Now, my sister has recently um, become a PhD, and her degree, is, her diploma is about this big, so we've laughed about that contrast. In this time, in about the 20s, is when the women's movement in the United States was fighting for the right to vote. This was kind of the first um, part of the women's movement. And my grandma was very much part of kind of the hopes of what it would mean to be an American and be in the U.S. and have not only the right to vote, but the right to own property. She eventually became a property owner, um, not only of the house that they raised my mom in, but eventually as a widow, owned several apartment buildings. And as an old woman, she used to sweep the stairs, and when people would be coming down the stairs and complaining about things like cracks in the stairs or a water heater that didn't work, she would say, oh, well, I will try to talk to the landlord. Well, she was the landlord. So this is the kind of person that my grandma was. Years later, uh, when I came into the picture, I have a photo of my seventh birthday party. This is what girls wore in the the 70s to their birthday parties. Um, In fact, to school, we weren't allowed to wear pants. We wore dresses with bobby socks. I think I'm the one up on the top step with the short, dark hair and the bow in the side of my hair. Also in this picture, um, as time would have it and go by, there's a woman who became an MD-PhD, the director of public health in the city of Columbus, Ohio. There's a woman who was a double uh, grad from Stanford undergrad and Stanford Law School. There's a woman who became the head of nursing at our local hospital and the head of staff now. There's a woman who lost her life to an ectopic pregnancy. So we're all there. And at the time, we had no idea who would, we would become. But we knew that our mothers believed in equal rights for us. They believed in equal opportunity for us. My mom had been a teacher, and she often said, you don't have to be just a teacher, or you don't have to be just a nurse. You can be anything God calls you to be. Hence, perhaps, why Abraham Lincoln appealed to me. That's who we're going to look at today. A woman who God called to be something she never really set out to be. She was just following after God, and God used her in a mighty way. So let's join our hearts in prayer. Lord God, open up our hearts um, now to look at Deborah with your eyes, uh, to see what you have for us in this day through this woman. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to look at, uh, the, first, the context that Deborah found herself in, and then at four attributes of Deborah as a leader. So first is the fact that Israel had failed. You might remember the story. God rescued Israel uh, out of Egypt through Moses, led them to the edge of the promised land through the desert, and then Joshua is the one who gets to take them in victoriously. He leads the people in. But after the death of Joshua... Israel falters, and there began to be this kind of series of leaders, of judges, that uh, there's almost like a cycle. And uh, Pastor Tim Keller, who, by the way, if you want a contrarian view to what we're preaching today, has a complementarian view of men and women, that yes, we're both in the image of God, but we have different roles, and they're, they're kind of set. So 
let it be noted, but I appreciate Keller's perspective on this cycle. He says it was a cycle of rebellion, retribution, repentance, and rescue, and then repeat. It's this kind of messy cycle that happens in our lives as well. Starting in Judges 3, God sends Athenial, then Ehud, then Shamgar, each defeating their enemies and bringing about peace for 40 or 60 years until the cycle of the rebellion comes around again. Judges is a messy book, and it's like messiness on repeat. What helps is if we can see our own stories within this. How is this true of us as well? So Deborah responds to God's call. In Judges 5, verse 9, this is her qualification. She says, My heart is with the rulers of Israel, all who offer themselves willingly to the Lord. So she offers herself willingly to the Lord, and God does kind of four major actions that I want to look at, and they're sort of in three scenes, if you will, in Deborah's life. God calls her to lead, to serve, to sing, And then she becomes known as a mother in Israel. So leading. Leaders act. Leaders roll up their sleeves and say, yep, it's going to be hard. Yep, it's never been done before. Yep, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't. Yep, there's downside risk. Yep, something needs to be done. Let's do it. So the first action of Deborah is that she leads We see in Judges 4, verse 4, At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her for judgment. Scripture doesn't seem to make a big deal out of, and then there was a female judge. It just kind of makes this list of judges, and here's Deborah. She's one of about 14 of them. Scholars are unsure why they do, Scripture doesn't make a big deal. Were, was Deborah called to be a leader because basically there were no good men available? Or was she called to be a leader because it was just her turn? She, she was the one that God had chosen. What were her roles and responsibilities as a leader? She was a prophetess. She heard from God and she spoke for God. It's a huge responsibility. She was a wife. We're we're told that she's placed within a family. She's the wife of Lapidoth. And then she's kind of a governing or political leader. So when we think judge, we think, you know, dark cloak, two women actually on the Supreme Court. No, three women on the Supreme Court now. You know, we kind of think judge that way. It's more like governor was her role. All of Israel was under her jurisdiction, and she sat in a particular place under a palm so frequently, and so many people came there that it became known as the Palm of Deborah. It's sometimes said of leaders, how do you know if you're a leader? Well, you look behind you and see if anyone's following. People were following Deborah. They were coming and waiting to talk to her and to get her opinion and her thoughts and to hear what God had to say. She dispensed righteousness and justice and mercy and inspiration. So that's the first thing she does. She leads. She's obedient to God's call to her to step into this role of leadership. And then her second action is that she serves. And the way that she serves is this. She calls Barak to her and says this. Listen carefully. 
The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Go and take with you 10,000 men and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of the enemy army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. She's speaking on behalf of God and telling Barak, you're called to battle. Okay, if you're that person, do you want to go into battle? Maybe not. Maybe you're a little afraid. But, but generally, if God's calling, you want to say, yes. Not so with Barak. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Okay, pause. If I'm Deborah at this moment, I'm thinking, didn't you just hear what I said? God told me to tell you that you're supposed to go here and I'm going to give you the victory. But Deborah takes this servant attitude. She says, I will surely go with you. I will go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. So God calls Deborah to serve. My pages are out of order. We don't want that to happen. We'll go here. We'll go over here to my backup. Um, Her willingness to go where God has called her leads her to say yes to Barak, to sort of accommodate his fear. He has said to her, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. And so an optimistic view of Barak would say that he recognizes her authority and her kind of strength. So in other words, if you go with me, we'll gain the victory. But if you don't go, I'll be too afraid. I don't think I can do it. Problem being, in my opinion, God's already promised the victory. So a pessimistic view of Barak would be he's really too afraid to say yes to God. So he sort of pulls Deborah along with him. But Deborah goes. Deborah meets him where he is. She recognizes his need, and she goes with him. And this is this reminder, this foreshadowing to me, of the fact that God comes to be with us. In the person of Jesus. God doesn't say, hey, you can do it. Go on. Here's the encouragement. He says, I'm sending my own son. That you would know this life. That you would be able to follow after him. And then beyond that, I'm sending my own spirit. That you would know that God is with you. So Deborah reminds us that an act of service is to be with. To be the presence of God with another even when they're going through a tremendously rough time, even if you don't feel like you can solve the problem, you're there with. I remember when my kids were little, I used to um, have a thing about, you know, there's Saturday morning, we tried to clean the house, and there was the assignment of getting your room clean. Well, many times I would say, hey, it's time to clean your room, and nothing would happen. And I found, particularly with my son, that if I said, hey, we're going to go upstairs together, and we're going to clean your room. It would be less overwhelming, and we'd break it down into steps. You don't have to be afraid of the 
drastic mess that this room is. We're just going to start with like picking up the toys and putting them away. Then we're going to pick up the clothes and we're going to put those in the laundry. Then we're going to make your change your sheets. You know, you just break it down into step by step. So, so it is with Deborah. She comes alongside Barack and says, okay, here's where we're going to go. Here's how we're going to do this. I will go with you. But as in the cycle, there's going to be a consequence. The victory won't be yours fully. It will be given to a woman. Now, interestingly, if you were to hop ahead in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, there's this huge uh, hall of fame in Hebrews 11, how things are acknowledged by faith. This happened by faith. This next thing happened. And you know whose name is on that list? Barak. No Deborah and not the next woman we're going to talk about. I found that a bit irritating, but there you have it. So thirdly, Deborah is called to sing. Now, what I mean by this is not only that there is a song of praise that we're going to look at, but that she's kind of called to reflect on how her story has become part of the story of God in the world. Deborah's called to sing, and she joins famous stories, uh, songs in Scripture. Miriam's sto- song is that when they come, uh, they're rescued out of the Red Sea. Moses and Miriam have this singing and dancing episode. Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she's told that she can expect the Messiah, she sings something called the Magnificat, which gives God glory and says, let it be to me as you have said. And so it is with Deborah. She puts words to the story. It's like a ballad, and it goes this way, out of Judges chapter 5. So in 4, these things happen, and then in 5, it's sort of reflected. And I'm going to use this scripture to tell us about this next woman that we're going to explore. Hear, O kings, listen, O princes, to God, yes, to God I'll sing. Make music to God, to the God of Israel. It's like I will live my life to the glory of God. And here's how it went. Here's the ballad part. Public roads were abandoned. Travelers went by back roads. Warriors became fat and sloppy. No fight left in them. Then you, Deborah, rose up. You got up a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders who then fought at the gates. It goes on to say, and then at the end of the story, most blessed of all women is Jael. Now, this is where the story should be rated R for violence. So be warned. This isn't a rainbows and unicorns part of the Bible story. This is a part when we are reminded, like in Ephesians 6.12, that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but rulers and principalities and systems of injustice. Here's what happens. Most blessed of all women is Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of homemaking women. He asked for water. This would be their enemy, Sisera. She brought him milk in a handsome bowl. She offered him cream. She grabbed a tent peg in her left hand, and with her right hand, she seized a hammer. She hammered Sisera. She smashed his head. She drove a hole through his head. He slumped at her feet. He fell. He sprawled. He slumped at her feet. He fell, slumped, fallen, dead. And then in conclusion, thus may all God's enemies perish while his lovers be like the unclouded sun. What violence in order to gain a victory. And then it says the land was quiet for 40 years. So when Barak goes to war, couldn't we say we were for him? 
like those Israelite warriors who, who didn't have everything that Sisera's army had. He had reason to fear. Sisera's army, they say, had iron chariots. That, and when you're coming with foot soldiers against iron, this is going to be challenging. And yet they gained the victory. So what God had promised, that battle was won. But Sisera, the leader of his army, all his men have been destroyed, and he escapes. He escapes to a little kind of group of tents where he thinks he's going to find friendly refuge because he's friends with the husband of Jael. Now, Jael evidently has a different allegiance. So Jael says, oh, yes, Sisera, come right on in. Oh, yes, let me give you something to drink. Oh, yes, lay down on my bed. Oh, yes, I'll stand watch here at the door. And it was women's work to put a tent up. So she takes the tools of her homemaking, a tent peg and a hammer, and she goes on in there, and she takes care of Sisera. Why? Because do you know that there's even another woman hidden in this story? It's Sisera's mother. Now, Sisera's mother is used to her son having a lot of victories. And so right here in Judges 5, it also tells how Sisera's mother is waiting by the window for her son to come back from battle. And she waits and waits, and he doesn't seem to be coming back. And she says to her handmaidens and such, oh, you know, he and all the other victors, they must be plundering the Hebrew women, one or two women for each soldier. Wow. So Jael, Jael has a sense that these women, that something is wrong with this story, that Sisera should not get away with this ever again. Does that story sound like anything going on today? Hashtag me too. Time's up. This is it. So JL takes what she has and she just puts an end to it. She puts an end to Sisera. Now, I'm not saying this is the right, I'm not even, you know, is murder right? Is the means right? This is a battle and she participates in the battle in her own way. But the point is, God gains the victory. God has an intention to defeat the enemies of Israel. And this is part of how the story unfolds. I wonder about us today. I wonder about the heroes that we encounter today. Have you heard, as we approach this anniversary of Columbine, do you remember there was a million mother march because of what happened in Columbine? There's been a young woman, Emma Gonzalez, who called for six minutes and 20 seconds of silence, which is how long the students were hiding in Parkland High School when the violence was happening there. It's said to be the loudest silence in the history of U.S. protest. In what way might God be calling each of us to be part of his story, to have a song to sing to his glory, that reminds us that we're in this world, but we're not of it. We don't have to say yes to wrong. We can stand against it. You could have a story that's part of what God wants to do in the world. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. And then God, it is said about God in this passage that God has called Deborah to be mother in Israel. What makes a mother a mother? We don't often put these two things together, a warrior and a mother. The best of motherhood gives life, brings new life. And Deborah did this for Israel. 
She faced down their enemies for the sake of Israel. She walked into battle with Barak because God told her to, even though she thought he should have been able to do it on his own with God's promise. She inspired allegiance from Jael, even whose own household was affiliated with the enemy, Sisera. She served God to the best of her ability. She gave 110%. Her trust in God is her highest adornment. She may never have been a mother raising children, we don't know, but she became the mother to Israel through her spiritual birthing. There's a theologian, a young woman theologian that I've really been enjoying. Her name is Sarah Bessie, and she's written a book called Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. She says this, God saved you because he loves you. He longs to restore your relationship with him. You've been rescued and redeemed to be with God. The one who delights in you yearns to work with you, to enjoy your presence, to see you become fully human, fully alive, fully your own self. God doesn't want to use you. He wants to be with you because he loves you. God wants to be with us in such a way that we make a difference in the world for his name's sake, that we would sing his praise, that others would sing his praise because of the way that we live. You may have heard of St. Francis of Assisi in the 1100s. He was the one who uh, was known for taking up the ascetic practices, and he just wore a cloak with a, with a um, belt, a rope belt, and no shoes. Well, did you know there was a St. Clair? She was a young woman who, who set out from her father's household and she gave up a big belt of jewels and she took on that same cloak and she put on the, the knotted rope of being uh, affiliated with the Franciscans. And others came to begin to follow Claire. She established her own uh, convent for women. Her sister came and joined and many others. And for years, she took care of the women in these convents. She nurtured this to be a place of blessing. And there came to be a time when they were under attack by this group called the Saracens. And Claire prays to God and says, Does it please you, dear God, to deliver into the hands of these beasts the defenseless children that I have nourished with your love? I beseech you, dear Lord, protect those whom I'm not now able to protect. And to the sisters gathered there, she said, Don't be afraid. So what they did is they took the Eucharist, they took the the bread, like the little wafers of communion, and they plastered them on the walls, the interior walls of the convent, which St. Clair had never left since she joined. And the army came up outside, and they heard that these women were in there praying. And they decided not to attack. They just turned around. There's a visual to me like that that says, could we be that kind of stronghold for God where the enemy just turns around and is defeated because we are so full of the presence of the Spirit of God? I want to leave you with this blessing that comes from St. Clair. It says, go forth in peace, for you followed the good road. Go forth without fear, for he who created you has made you holy, has always protected you, and loves you as a mother. Men and women of Bethany, how do you long to be like Deborah, 
as a mighty warrior or a wise judge or a singer-songwriter or a successful politician or someone who loves God with their whole heart. When we add this last quality, who in our midst can feel most honored? Those who have the humble position, perhaps, of mothering, of doing what needs to be done, of leading, of accommodating someone else's need and serving them in that way of seeing our small story, the daily story, our afternoon, our evening, our Monday morning, as a part of God's big story. May it be so. Amen.